Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be digging into a little fracas that has been popping up on online movie news for the past several weeks. And the controversy is around famed auteur directors like Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and Pedro Almodovar and their feelings about Marvel movies and how those feelings tend to be fairly negative. And it's almost become sort of a trend now. Like it's like, oh, Scorsese says something. And then it's like, oh, and this director had something to say. And this director had something to say. So I wrote an editorial that's on the site about what this debate is really about, because I think the mistake of uh, to to mistake what the debate's terms are is to mistake what the arguments are really about. Um, because on its face, it's like, well, you know, either you like Marvel movies or you like, you know, only Scorsese movies or Godfather or you're a cinephile or you're a fanboy. And I just don't. I think that's a false choice. And I also don't think that's what that's this is the, what these people are really talking about. Yeah, uh, it's been interesting to be sure. I honestly did not, uh, I would not have predicted that when Martin Scorsese made those uh, initial comments um, that it would kick off kind of this firestorm. And I think we should go back to those first comments and, and look at the context of them um, uh, just to, to kind of get the the context of all of this straight. Because mm-hmm. the uh, like his very first comments uh, were, you know, it, it wasn't like, he was like, I need to tell someone what I think about Marvel movies. Um, he was asked a question as part of, uh, I think it was like a lengthy Q&A with uh, Empire, um, Empire Magazine. And when they asked him, um, do you watch Marvel movies? His full, like, th- this is the full quote. This is what started all of this. Uh, he said, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And that was it. Like, he he wasn't out here, <laughs> like, uh, you know, saying, you know, boy, I got to really take those Marvel movies to task. He was asked a question. He answered it honestly. And, you know, in admitting that he hasn't seen all of them, which, but of course, Martin Scorsese is not seeing all of the MCU movies. Uh, he's acknowledging that, like, they're just not for him. Like, they, you know, he tried. He watched a few of them. Has he seen Black Panther? I have no idea. Uh, and I don't really care. Um, but, you know, he feels pretty strongly that they are not... Um, what he believes to be is cinema. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. Scorsese, Scorsese's definition of cinema is probably going to be different than your definition of cinema, but it, it seems to be what he's getting at here is he's talking about films that are challenging films that cause you to have a complex emotional reaction. I'm thinking of something like Midsommar, um, which is this really bold and different and unique film that causes you to have, like conflicting emotions at times. And I think Matt, you, even you can agree. I, you didn't like the movie, but like it is a film that is challenging you on an emotional level, as opposed to a film like a Marvel movie that is fairly predictable beat by beat. And like you feel emotions because the score and the actors are telling you to feel emotions, but also because you've watched 
10 other movies with this character. So it's essentially a series finale if that character is departing. Right. I mean, when he's talking about like, you know, real, real humans facing real human things, I think there are some grand, broad, universal emotions in Marvel films. I mean, I don't think the films would connect with people if they were just emotionless. But I would also say that they're not bringing you into sort of a world that you can personally understand the stakes. Um, they're not relatable, really, on a personal level. Like, they can be relatable in sort of like, what does it mean to do the right thing? What does it mean to stand up to bullies? But it's not really like, what does it mean to sort of, you know, in like, if you look at Goodfellas, like, to have your, to aspire to be a criminal, like, what does it mean to sort of to want to do the wrong thing because it gives you power? Like, that's a, that puts you in a much more complicated state of mind that Marvel films, by their nature, will never aim for because they are have to appeal to children. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, when my dad handed me my magic hammer, it wasn't exactly like it happened in Thor. So No, exactly. I mean, we all have our magic hammer stories, <laughs> but... No, and, and our evil brothers who, you know, commit genocide. Right. So. And to be fair, a lot of us aren't like, well, I don't know what the mafia is like. But really, what that's not really the films that Scors Scorsese is making movies about human relationships. And he thinks Marvel movies are about magic, magic hammers. And that doesn't really jive with what he's about. Um, and I feel like. But I still feel like that's getting away from what his larger point actually is and from why Marvel fans are actually mad. And this is what I wrote about, which is that Marvel fans want legitimacy and Scorsese wants a Hollywood system that will make his movies. But they're making Marvel movies instead. Like, so his beef isn't like, oh, if only Marvel films were like this, it's that they're not making his films. That's the issue. And Marvel films just stand in as a catch all for that. Yeah, and that's something I think that you got into really well on your editorial, which everyone listening to this podcast should go and read on Collider. Um, is that like, you know, Scorsese's talking about Marvel movies as cinema. Scorsese has been making movies for decades, uh, and he's using Marvel movies as a catch all term for like, this is the prevailing, this is the, the movie that studios are making right now. This is the, the kind of movie that, uh, you know, everyone's going to see. And it is different than in decades previous. I mean, the, the 80s were pretty well known for, uh, you know, macho actioners made a lot, of mo uh, a lot of money. And then, you know, you had around like the, I mean, T2 started it, but the mid 90s, you started to have the visual effects driven blockbusters like um, Speed and Titanic um, and Speed 2, Cruise Control, the classic. <laughs> Um, but, uh, those were not the only movies that studios were making because, and I think this is a key difference, television was not 500 channels plus 37 different streaming services. So the, uh, competition vying for eyeballs was not as fierce. And as a result, I think more people were seeing movies around that time. Well, and for and in Scorsese's defense, he's been on the losing end of this equation already because yeah. he came up in the new age and in, in sort of new Hollywood where a film where films like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, those films would get made by a major studio. And what happened is, is that directors like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas came in with Jaws and Star Wars and blew it all up like that's. 
that's the story of easier easy riders raging bulls like that's that's the end end of it is so it's not and, and that's when studios which also around this time were starting to be bought up by major corporations as we we move into the 80s um become more reliant on visually you know visual effects driven movies and uh, a character drama the character dramas that Scorsese wants to make get harder to make but there is still room for them there is still room to make movies like Goodfellas or you know I mean it's kind of incredible that a film like Kundun exists when was released into theaters like I'm Martin Scorsese and I want to make a film about the Dalai Lama (laughs) and it's like that exists and it's like can you imagine any studio being like no we're not making a we're not making a movie about the Dalai Lama. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Unless it's part of the Dalai Lama cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, I, sorry. Now I'm imagining what a Dalai Lama cinematic universe looks like. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's had troubles in the past, as you said, and projects like the aviator and the departed, uh, or no, the aviator and games of New York were a long time coming. These are projects that he'd worked a long time on. Uh, silence was a passion project, took him a long time to get that one done and get that one made. But I do think he started to feel the pressure recently. Um, I mean, Wolf of wall street famously, he battled paramount a little bit on the runtime of that one. Um, paramount would not release the film if it was over three hours, which is why it is three hours. Exactly. Um, silence, I think was pretty difficult to get made. And then you have the Irishman, which, uh, was originally set up at Paramount, but Paramount was getting very nervous about the budget and didn't really want to commit to that. And so he had to move to Netflix. Right. And that's the thing about like, and so when you look at like Martin Scorsese and it's like, I have like Martin Scorsese is a venerated Oscar winning director. The Irishman is bringing together legends like Robert De Niro, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci, who granted have not, are not like the box office draws that they once were, but they are still legends in the genre that made them legendary. No less yeah. in the gangster film in a gangster film, and and still it's sort of like yeah, but we don't know if we want to pay for this digital de aging stuff, so we're not gonna do it. And like that's the kind of thing where on the one hand the technology to make this film doesn't exist ten years ago, but also ten years ago it's probably easier for Martin Scorsese to get this movie made. Um, it is, but I think as we've talked about in the past. Uh, I mean, you have a name like Martin Scorsese, you have names like Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Mm -hmm. uh, and Al Pacino, um, this prestige project. And then you look conversely at Marvel movies, like people didn't go see Thor Ragnarok because they wanted to see the next film from Taika Waititi, nor did they go see it because they wanted to see the next film starring Chris Hemsworth or else In the Heart of the Sea and Vacation would have been like massive blockbusters. Um, They went and saw it because it was the next Thor movie. Right. like the 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 days of like a movie star name being able to greenlight your film are very quickly waning. There are not many actors who are able to do that anymore. Um, you know, you've got like Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, um, and even then, like they're they're still going to have like I mean, not a lot of people went to go see American Made. Yeah. So you know, no one went to go. You know, just because Tom Hanks is the star of uh, what was it, A Message for the King? Was that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the Tom Tickfer film. Yeah, um, yeah. Like th- those are no guarantees anymore. So you know, it really is all about franchises, and and Scorsese knows this, and that's a problem when you want to make a film that is too expensive to be like a five million to twenty five million dollar budget. Like your, your film is too big for that, 
but it's also not big enough and not a franchise IP that says, give me, you know, I want money for this. Um, and that, and so you're sort of put in this very awkward position, uh, uh, as a director where just genuinely no one wants to make your films regardless of what you've accomplished. And I think that puts Scorsese and, and, and his peers in a difficult position where they see the prevailing winds of Hollywood um, funding, not just blockbusters, but blockbusters that have to be franchisable IP. You know, it's a very narrow range of what a, the biggest movies can be. And I think the thing is, is I don't think Scorsese is like those movies shouldn't exist at no point. He's like, you know, Marvel films are, you know, he didn't go as far as, as Coppola to say that's despicable, but he, what what the argument is is like there's no room for for me to make my movies as well. Even ironically enough, even Steven Spielberg is having trouble getting his own movies greenlit, and Spielberg is the one who you know created the blockbuster. Granted, he was creating blockbusters of a different sort. I don't think anyone would look at. I don't even think John Favreau would would compare uh, his directorial div- vision for the first Iron Man to. Uh, kind of the inherent cinematic brilliance of Steven Spielberg behind the camera on Jaws or Close Encounters or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and yet, like Spielberg, the you know inventor of that kind of commercialized blockbuster summer uh, season, is having trouble getting his passion projects like Lincoln made. Right, exactly. Like it's 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 an uphill battle because again, the kinds of films that are being made are just. The only, I think the only director really right now who is like, I want to make a big expensive film and I'm the director of it. So you're going to fund it is Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And to the point that he writes the script on spec and packages it with a cast and crew and then goes to the studio and is like, this is what it is. This is how much it costs. You're making it or you're not. Right. And then Warner Brothers is like, yeah, we'll make it. (laughs) They're like, yes, yes. Whereas David Fincher goes to Sony and they're like, fuck you, David. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So and and so I think and I'm sympathetic to that, but I'm also sympathetic to what the Marvel fans want, which is I don't think the Marvel fans are like, you know, that they hate cinema or they only want certain kind of movies. I think what Marvel fans want, because if you look at it, if you take a step back, the Marvel fans won. Like, look at look at everything that is going their way. And yeah. when I say Marvel fans, it's like superhero genre. Yeah, everything is going your way. In a very short period of time, relatively, extremely, yeah, relatively short period of time, like twenty years ago, this was not how things looked, and now it's like, oh, definitely, you know, I have cinematic universes, and 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 a superhero film can be an R-rated comedy or it can be a gritty drama, uh, everything superhero films, and like it's you know the biggest actors are starring in them, and really acclaimed directors are trying to find ways to work within my genre, and these obscure properties are getting. Uh, you know, adapted and it's all happening because these movies are grossing over a billion dollars at the box office. And then on top of that, they're getting nominated for Oscars and winning yeah. Oscars. So really what more could you want? And what you want is legitimacy because that cannot be bought. That cannot be bought. It can only be bestowed and it can only be bestowed by people who already have it. People like Martin Scorsese. And yeah. he's not giving it to you. <laughs> he's not. He's not coming out and saying like, oh, I love the MCU. I can't wait to see what they do with Ant-Man 3. 
Right. <laughs> She's not like, you know, I don't think cinema has really seen such a tragic figure as Thanos. <laughs> yeah, he's not coming out and saying one of the most iconic villains in all of cinema history is Thanos from the Avengers saga. <laughs> you know, and that's, and again, that's okay. But it, to me, I, and I get the, um, I get the need for legitimacy. You know, it, it reminds me of, there was a debate about 15 years ago or so, 14 or 15 years ago, where Roger Ebert wrote an article saying video games are not art. And boy, did that piss off the video oh, yeah. game fans. Yeah. And they kept, what Roger Ebert was arguing was about what is an art form, which I think is a valid question. But because art has the connotation of respectability, because when you, when you hear the word art, you're like, oh, painting, sculptures art and that's what would be referred to as high art um what what those video game fans wanted was respectability that roger ebert refused to bestow and said what you like is not art and it wasn't enough to just simply say okay i disagree or okay maybe it's not an art form but it actually still requires a lot of artistry in the way that is made so while we would say that a chess set is not an art is not art it is a game the artistry into making the pieces and making the board cannot be disputed um that it still is something that the actual form requires artisans to make it stand out and instead they're like no it's art <laughs> and i feel like we're back there with like video like 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 no marvel movies are cinema and it's like well yeah they are cinema like technically they you know but what what they want is is Martin Scorsese to be like oh, I hear yeah. Jack is yeah. that Jack Jack is is warning us that someone's at the house and being like I too have opinions on this um, no Jack saying Marvel movies are Marvel. cinema <laughs> but what what Marvel movies like I would I just feel like if if Martin Scorsese had come out and been like Marvel films really are the next great frontier of cinema and truly deserve our respect he would not be dismissed because. Again, his his opinion either matters or it doesn't. It can't matter only if he agrees with what you want him to say. <laughs> so yeah. what I would say is his opinion matters. You don't have to agree with it, but it also you can't just dismiss it outright because he does have he does have this legacy. He does have the experience. Like Martin Scorsese is not a guy off the street. And that's the other, like, people are like, why are people even bother asking these directors? And I'm like, because they're experts in their field. Like, that's a dumb fucking, like, that's the dumb fucking, like, why even ask? Uh, I don't know, because they know things. And like, like, you can't be like, Marvel films are taking over the world, but, you know, don't ask anyone about them. Like, come on, they're going to open themselves up for critique. So let's have the conversation. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola made two of the greatest films of all time, and just because he hasn't made a great film in a while doesn't discount that. Like, that's not an accident. You don't do that by he do, you don't make The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two by accident. Like, you know what you're doing. And Scorsese is one of the foremost uh, film historians alive, like living. Like Leonardo DiCaprio has said that he, like Scorsese, has been his like film mentor, and uh, you know turned DiCaprio into like a serious cinephile. Um, but in terms of the legitimacy, I have two legitimacy. I have two things. One, didn't we already get it? Black Panther won three Oscars. It's the first superhero movie nominated for Best Picture. Like that, 
if that doesn't scream legitimacy, I don't really know what does. And yet there were some people who were like, no, wrong movie. It should have been Avengers or whatever else. Um, Black Panther's not good enough. But like that in and of itself was an acknowledgement as a whole of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, an acknowledgement that like this thing is being embraced by Hollywood because Academy members vote on the Oscars and Academy members are filmmakers and storytellers. Um, and then my second thing is, is just kind of like, I just don't understand why people care that much. Like you and I write editorials uh, like stating our positions or opinions. You write reviews, uh, which are your takes on films. I write reviews at film festivals. I don't think I've ever once had someone yell at me and tell me I'm wrong and me like get really upset about it. I'm just like, all right. And and to go to your second point, I think the problem is, is that these movies and, and, and I understand it and I, and I sympathize with it. And I think it's actually kind of wonderful in some ways is that these films become part of our identity. And so then an attack on that film becomes an attack on our identity. And so we have to defend our identity. So if someone says the thing that you love, isn't good enough, you can easily, it's not a far, it's not much of a leap to say, Oh, I am not good enough. Like the things that I like, because I think it, it can really hit to your insecurities. It can really hit to your like, Oh, am I not liking the right things? Oh, Marvel movies are so broad that they're meant to appeal to children. Does that mean that my interests are childish? And I don't think they are. I don't, I think that just because something can appeal, I mean, the wizard of Oz is meant for children. It's also one of the greatest movies of all time. It's not childish. It just can appeal to children, but it is also like great. It is great myth making. (laughs) Like it's like, so like they, they, both things can be true, but I think when you are harboring insecurities about the things that you like, it's very easy for someone who is respectable to come in and take and tear that down. If you don't have the wherewithal to be like, okay, <laughs> if you can't just shrug it off and be like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, Martin Scorsese doesn't like Avengers Endgame uh, or hasn't even bothered to see it, but I still like it. Like, at that point, it's like, let's just go our separate ways. But if you feel, oh, but I need that respectability. I need that. I need that confirmation. I need that affirmation that what I like matters and you don't get it. Then you get angry. <laughs> you get yeah. angry and you get defend and you go on the defensive. And that's the, I would say the wrong place to go because again, Martin Scorsese isn't talking about you. <laughs> like I guarantee you, he does not, he has not picked over these Marvel films because <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> fucking care. Like that's not his concern. His concern is I can't make the movies I want to make. And I would also, I would also, you know, you know, if we want to turn it on its head, if you're a cinephile and people are attacking Martin Scorsese, they're not attacking you. They're not attacking yeah. you just because you like Goodfellas or you like uh, The Departed or, or what have you. Like Kundun. Kundun. <laughs> Bring it up, Kundun. Um, yeah, they're not attacking you. Like, But again, I get how the art that we love is filtered into our identities. Um, and when that art is attacked, we feel attacked by proxy. Yeah, I get that. I definitely... Uh, and and that's a good point because that's something that I felt when I was younger, and I think it's only normal to feel, especially as a teenager. Um, uh, you know, um, 
<laughs> makes me think of the our Fight Club podcast, the things you uh, own end up owning you, uh, where you're kind of and and you and I I think grew up in the nascent stages of Facebook, where you could kind of create this identity online um, and be like, oh, like you know, uh, in high school and. Uh, fucking god 2005 my uh on facebook it, i would you know put like these are my top five favorite albums of all time and like that was i felt intrinsically part of my identity like this told the world who i was and it you know started to become part of who i am i think that you know with the explosion of the internet and the digital age this whole kind of making yourself over with pop culture and creating your identity through pop culture has become a little bit more intense uh but uh, you know, I also understand that like fandom is a is a serious thing, and it's not just relegated to Marvel movies. It's uh, you know musicians, it's bands, it's uh, artists, authors, uh, you know uh, book series. I mean, how many people have Harry Potter tattoos and you know feel so strongly about Harry Potter? Um, and I get it, I understand it, and I think that makes sense, and that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. But I also think it's important to keep in mind that these movies are just so popular. Like it's not even like. You know, I have a friend who's like super into Pearl Jam and like Pearl Jam got popular in the 90s. But, you know, then, uh, you know, the true diehard Pearl Jam fans, you know, kept sticking around and they knew all the deep cuts and all of this stuff. It's not like the Marvel movies are like receding in popularity. They are the most consistently successful franchise of all time. A movie like Ant-Man and the Wasp, I don't think anyone's going to say that's their favorite Marvel movie, but it made like almost $700 million worldwide. So like for Marvel to be able to just kind of like, excuse the term, like fart out a movie like that, which is fine. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp is fine. It's not a bad movie, but it's fine. Uh, It doesn't make like a super strong, huge impression. Um, But for it to be as successful as it is and for it to get generally positive reviews, that's the other thing. It's like critics are not poo-pooing these Marvel movies. Critics have embraced them. Um, you know, they're just so darn popular. Right. Yeah. You haven't lost the the war here, but I do understand like there is something that still feels out of gra- out of reach in the sense that like, oh, these are superhero films. They're based on comics. Comics are for kids and I'm not getting the respect I deserve. Yeah. Um, and if, if that's what you're looking for, you're always going to end up unhappy because there's always someone, there's always going to be someone in a position of power who is not going to bestow on you the legitimacy that you crave. Like if you go, if you go looking for that, you're never, you're always going to come up empty handed looking for that approval. And it's just far better to just like the things that you like and not to just shut and not to shut people down, not to be the like, let people like things guy, which is fucking stupid. Like Mm -hmm. you're allowed to engage, but at the same time, I would say like, if someone dislikes something that you like, okay. Like, the, the the great thing about ha- about opinions on art is that it's not determined by consensus. Like that's how you get like when we when we ask people for their hot takes on movies to send in the show, it's because we're allowed to not we're allowed to not have an opinion that is in lockstep with everyone else's. Um, it some opinions may require more defending than others, but especially in the realm of entertainment, like it's it's. It's pretty, you're, it's a safe space to have opinions that are controversial. It really is. If you want to come up to me and say, Mad Max Fury Road is fucking garbage. Like, if you want to, if you can defend that take, I would like to hear the defense of that and see if it holds up to scrutiny. Um, that's okay. Like, it's better to have a controversial take in the realm of entertainment than like, you know, 
National socialism, while the genocide was a problem, I think had some pretty good ideas. Like don't, that's where your that's where your hot takes get into are 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 not great. That's when yeah. it becomes a problem. But not in great, the but... realm of entertainment, it's really freeing to just like the things that you like and go with it. And look, I get it. Like I don't seek out things that like like I'm not on the internet being like, oh, who hates the Iron Giant? Because <laughs> I don't need that in my life, really. I don't need. <laughs> and some people are like, well, you should be challenged. And I'm like, I guess. And I'm not against it, but I don't really invite it <laughs> into my daily life because, you know, existence is a struggle as is. Um, yeah. Aren't there enough things to? Aren't there enough battles to fight these days? Rather than having to also go to the mat for Iron Giant. But I would say if you're like a Marvel fan, like you, you already have a lot of wins under your belt. You don't need Francis Ford Coppola to give you a cookie. You don't need him to be like, I think, you know, we really need, don't talk enough about Thor, the dark world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm thinking about Francis Ford Coppola watching Thor, the dark world now. Yeah. Um, Francis Ford Coppola, whose, whose last movie opened in all of 16 theaters. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like the films of Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola uh, or even Steven Spielberg are hindering the ability of Marvel to make the kinds of movies it wants to make. But the converse is true. The the ubiquitousness of Marvel films um, and this superhero genre and this, you know, spend $500 million to um, turn a profit model has really made it tough for you know, if people like Martin Scorsese are having problems getting movies made, like where is the hope for the next Scorsese? Like how is the next? Well, uh, and the, the next Scorsese has to make a Marvel film. That's the trade-off. Exactly. And so someone like Ryan Coogler or Chloe Zhao, like they have to make Marvel films. Yeah. Or Taika Waititi. Yeah. Like the, you know, it, it's just becoming this kind of necessary stepping stone that I think uh, filmmakers like Scorsese are finding frustrating. Um and, you know, it's cyclical. I mean, you can always look in the past and find a, uh, an example that feels kind of similar. I mean, the the music video world of the 80s and 90s could be comparable to um, kind of the Marvel world now. Like that, you know, directors would kind of cut their teeth in the music video world, and that's how they would get hired and, and get enough clout to be able to make a film. That was, yeah. you know, that was true of Spike Jones. That was true of David Fincher, uh, Mark yeah. Romanek. So. Or in the 50s and 60s, the Western was just, you know, everything yeah. was Western. So many Westerns, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And now Westerns are very rare. And, like, I hate to break it to you, but there will be there will come a day when the Marvel films go on the decline. Um, that day will probably come when Kevin Feige, you know, says, I'm out <laughs> and says, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the, 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 the expiration date. Um, but I could be wrong. Maybe he hands it off to someone like Nate Moore, who seems very creative and like he was a key figure in shepherding Black Panther. So who knows? Maybe it just keeps going. Um, but I would say that there are other there are other challenges right now to the cinematic landscape uh, rather than just Marvel movies. But I, I do sympathize the fact that studios have a finite amount of money that they're willing to spend on a slate in a given year. And if you're saying, well, three of these movies are going to be Marvel films. And also, by the way, there's one fewer major studio these days because Disney thanks in part to Marvel films bought Fox. Yeah. You know, like I get it. Like it is changing the landscape in such a way that, that pushes out certain voices. 
Um, but I will also acknowledge that there are certain voices who are being heard um, in smaller films that they're getting to make, or they're using Marvel films as kind of a Trojan horse to get in some, to smuggle in some really big ideas um, that they want to explore. Yeah, even blockbusters are having trouble. Like even Tron, the Tron Legacy sequel that Joseph Kaczynski was going to make, like Disney decided not to make it just because they didn't have enough room on their slate of like big movies. So they had to choose between big movies. But I will say the one area where it seems like um, challenging quote unquote cinema is thriving and where um, people are being allowed to and lauded for take chances is horror. Um, you know, we've seen it with Ari Aster, with Hereditary and Midsommar. I've uh, seen it with Jordan Peele, with Get Out and uh, Us earlier this year, which is still one of the highest grossing uh, domestic films of the year. Um, so, you know, but, you know, I wonder, like, where is the next, like, where's the chance for the next bottle rocket? Like, you and I have been talking about Sundance these past couple of years. Sundance has not been producing the kinds of big breakout movies that usually happen. And I don't know if that's a sign of the times or what. Uh, we're very curious to attend the festival yeah. this year. But I, well, and I think that comes back to sort of the streaming landscape because yeah. really what's going on, I think, there is that the average consumer is like, I don't want to leave my house and pay for a film unless it's something that really demands to be seen on the big screen and nothing at Sundance demands to be seen on the big screen. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. And so, and, and those films aren't really, I mean, at their price point and at their budget, they're just not meant to be seen that way. Um, well, you, and funny enough, like the, the thing that was supposed to bring people back to theaters, if you'll recall, was 3d. And that fizzled out, but around, so 2009 was Avatar, 2008 was Iron Man. As it turns out, it was the superhero movies that brought people back to theaters. Exactly, yeah. And Not, and not 3D. Not 3D, although I'm very curious to see if, if the Avatar sequels will revitalize 3D, or if Cameron will have a long overdue flop. Are, I don't want, are I don't, we sure like, I don't he's wanna... still pushing 3D for the Avatar sequels? Oh, they're going to be in 3D. Yeah. They're, they're going to be in 3D. 3D he movie loves that technology. Terrible. He is like the king of 3D. He, that's yeah. his baby. And so those movies are going to be in 3D. Um, I don't know. But that being said, I don't know if they'll, they'll bother screening them for, for critics in 3D. Like with with uh, Gemini Man, they didn't really bother screening it. If you weren't in New York or LA, they just like, eh, here, here's what it looks like in 24 frames per second. <laughs> Ang Lee worked really hard on this high frame rate, but we don't give a shit. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure what happens with the Avatar sequels, um, but I do know that 3D is still his his bag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Cinema. Right. Well, that's the that's the thing. It's like 3D was a tool, and studios were so desperate to be like, oh, here's a way we can jack up ticket prices and also do something that is exclusive, and it was a fad, as it has always been a fad. <laughs> it, 3D uh -huh. has always been a fad. It doesn't. It doesn't last because it wasn't projected properly. Glasses are a pain in the ass. Not everyone can wear them and it makes the movies more expensive. But other than that, yeah, great technology. Very much worth exploring. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I get why, why I get the appeal of Marvel films. They're big. They're bombastic. You can bring your kids to them. 
Um, they are. And we like a lot of them. <laughs> like, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we enjoy a lot of the Marvel movies. Yeah, they're well made. Like, here's the other thing: it's not like every superhero movie just automatically succeeds. Yeah, you know, Marvel just knows what they're doing. Like, they like it's sort of like you know when Pixar just could just. And granted, the Marvel films on average aren't as great as Pixar's were on average in Pixar's golden age. But it's like it's a reliable studio. Like that's what and the brand matters, and that's really what Disney is all about what is a reliable brand name studio yeah what is a reliable brand and a reliable brand is usually something that doesn't challenge you too much or really but it it makes you feel good and so you know disney's never gonna make silence they're never gonna make the (laughs) irishman um but you know hopefully someone will i mean right now that that appears to be netflix um, and maybe the, the, the way the landscape changes is that Netflix decides, okay, well, we're not getting the theatrical release that we want for the Irishman. Like Netflix wanted, I think what, 45 days and they got 29. Like they wanted, they wanted some window of release dates from the major chains like AMC and Regal. And those chains were like, nope. Not going to happen. You need, yeah. You need to give us uh, the 90-day window or else. Um, yeah. And Netflix just, like, threw up their hands and said, fuck it, we tried. And so it'll just be in, like, landmarks and I think maybe Alamos and some independent theaters. Um, but ultimately, I think the, ch- the step is that Netflix is eyeing is like, oh, well, we'll just buy the theaters and show our own movies there. So yeah. you'll go to a Netflix. Like, so Netflix will be like, you can watch our movies at home or you can come to a Netflix theater, see a movie a little early and see it on the big screen. So, yeah, I don't think we're too far away from Netflix buying its own theater chain, which, by the way, would easily which would be a, uh, a blatant violation of uh, antitrust law that is no longer enforced. Oh, wonderful. Well, no, because it used to be like, it used to be because of block booking practices where like, if you owned a movie theater, the movie theaters were owned by like MGM and MGM's like, okay, well, if you're going to show our M like we own this theater. So you're going to show our crappy movies in order to also get the good movies. And like, yeah. if you're a theater chain that puts you in a per- perilous position. So there was an antitrust case that basically broke up, um, production distribution and exhibition and basically said no company can own all three. So it's fine. If you're like, let's say like there's neon, which used to be draft house films. Neon mm-hmm. does not neon um, is a distributor. Like they don't, as far as I know, they do not produce films. Like they'll pick films up from acquisition, but they do not literally fund movies. Like let's say, I'm trying to think who, who like a, a company that, like Blumhouse. Blumhouse funds movies. Like they pay for them. Um, but Blumhouse is not a distributor. They work with a distributor like Universal. Um, you can't own all three. But if Netflix did, Netflix could own all three. They could be, Netflix pays the money to make uh, The Irishman happen. And then they distribute it and they distribute it into theaters that they own. So, you know, antitrust laws really aren't enforced anymore, which is great because monopolies are the best guys. (laughs) Um, But that's how it would work. Yeah. It's that would be great. (laughs) Not great. No, I mean, look, and, and here's the thing. I think two out of owning two out of three is fine. But that being said, if, if, if the theater chains won't show like if their business practices 
just refuse to show Netflix movies. I think Netflix does have a serious case to be like, well, we just want theatrical distribution. Yeah. And we tried, we lit, we, we, we made good faith efforts to work with the exhibitors that exist. And if they won't show our movies, then we should be free to show them ourselves. And I think that's fair. I think the more likely scenario is that that 90 day window is going to break sooner or later. That 90 day window is, mm. window is going to break. I mean, remember when they was it tower heist that the studio wanted to release directly to digital in like a really short window of yeah, time. And then they tower heist. scrapped it. Yeah. There were, but it was like some astronomical price, like $45 or something. Yeah. Which makes, which seems like, Oh, well that seems high, but not really. Because if you're like, oh, well, I'm going to get five friends to come over and we'll all watch Tower Heist together. Yeah. And then I guess they'll just true. Venmo me $9. Then it really is not. We've, we've, we've basically paid the less than the cost of a theater c- ticket and we're in the comfort of my home. Yeah. That's so true. that's the way I see it working out. But I think you're right. I think that window will break at some point. Um, I'm just not sure when or how, but it will break. Yeah. And, Honestly, if I if I was if I owned a theater chain, I would be, you know, very very worried. If I if I was like the CEO of AMC, I'd be fucking scared out of my mind because my theater chain is not doing enough to make the experience inviting for consumers, and I am on living on borrowed time right now. Yeah, like they're like an event like Avengers Endgame is not going to come along too often, and this kind of brings it back full circle, which is that like. It, you know, it used to be like people would celebrate the big release of the next Steven Spielberg movie or the next Martin Scorsese movie and tickets would be sold out. And that's just not really yeah, happening. That's not anymore. the landscape anymore. So I think, you know, you got to be smart. Like, like I think Alamo Drafthouse is, is pretty smart with what they're doing. Like they try to do repertory screenings. They try to make it an event. You know, yeah. they try to make the experience as welcoming as possible. So they do everything they can to make it a good thing to come out to their venue. Whereas like a like a a regular theater chain, like a Regal or what have you, is like, shut up, overpay for a ticket. Here's your popcorn. Shut up. If someone uses your cell phone in front of you, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Just watch the stupid movie and get out. <laughs> that's really the attitude, the prevailing attitude from a major chain. I went to see Zombieland 2 when someone brought their fucking baby. Well, the baby loved the first one. What you have to understand <laughs> is that that baby loved the first Zombieland. So they wanted to see where it went from there. Like, I understand that babysitters are expensive, but it just feels so selfish to me to just well, I mean, drag, that's the, that's drag the, that's, a baby. Well, to me, it's sort of like, you know, you don't get everything that you want. <laughs> like, yeah. But also, the thing is, is, the release window has shrunk to 90 days. All you have to do is wait three months to see Zombieland 2. That's all you have to wait. Three yeah. months. That's it. It's not like, oh, what happens next in Zombieland 2? I get yeah. that you want to get away from your from your kid for a while, but if you bring them to your bit to the movie with you, you haven't really done that, have you? <laughs> it's just they, they just walk in like, all right, everyone's going to be fucking as miserable as me as this child cries and coos and whaz throughout this whole movie, yeah. which is what happened. So. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so yeah, everything is bad. Is what I guess the measure. No, no. Um, no, I just, I feel like the debate that's been going between like Marvel fans and these auteur directors. And I just felt like it missed the point a little bit because it's not really about what Marvel movies do you prefer or like, you know, 
if Pedro Almodovar says that these movies aren't sexy, well, I'll give you examples where they are. I'm like, but he's not, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, is the movie he wants to make are not those movies. That's the, that's the larger point. And so we have to come to a place now where it's like, what kind of uh, landscape are we in where it's easy to make Marvel movies, but it's hard to make Martin Scorsese movies. And that's what we have to wrestle with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else to add? I don't think so. All right. Well, um, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.